Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we have for you today uh, an episode that I really had fun recording. It's with Michelle Frank, who is an athlete and a big fan of endurance sports from here in Atlanta, Georgia. And we're going to discuss a variety of running-related news, including the incredible performance in Berlin and the Boston Athletic Association's announcement of the field qualification for the 2020 Boston Marathon. Uh, Michelle's smart, she's well-informed, and she's wise enough not to say things like Patrick and I did last year after Elliot Kachogi ran 201.39 and we said that no one would approach this time for a while. We were wrong, as you will hear us discuss at great length here in just a few minutes. Now, before we get into all that, uh, we record on Sunday. We recorded this past Sunday, and I'm releasing this, of course, on Tuesday. And that's problematic when it comes to a news podcast if, in fact, news breaks between the Sunday recording and the Tuesday release. And that's exactly what happened this week, as a matter of fact. Alberto Salazar, uh, who is the head of the Nike Oregon Project, a former U.S. Olympian and my birthday twin, was banned for four years alongside a Nike Oregon Project uh, doctor named Dr. Jeffrey Brown. He is a longtime coach. He might be one of the most well-known coaches in the world, but he's certainly probably the best-known coach in the United States for, for distance runners. The Nike Oregon Project has been built around him, literally, and I want to say one of the buildings on the Nike campus out there in Oregon is actually named after him. Nike Oregon Project members are some of the best runners in the world. Uh, Safan Hassan, who won the 10,000 meters at the World Championship just this past weekend, set a world record in the indoor mile over the winter, uh, is coached by him and is a Nike Oregon Project member. Uh, Galen Rupp, who of course has won a couple of silver medals uh, for the United States, uh, is uh, been linked to, to Alberto Salazar throughout his entire career. Uh, Shannon Roberry, Jordan Hesse, Yamifka Jelcha, Clayton Murphy, Donovan Brazier, uh, Constant Klosterhofen, uh, all of them are members of the Nike Oregon Project. Even if they aren't necessarily coached by Alberto Salazar directly, he's part of the. They're part of the coaching group uh, that he's the head of. Uh, there are seven Nike Oregon Project athletes at the World Championships right now. As a matter of fact, former members of the Nike and Oregon Project, the NOP, uh, include Matt Centrowitz, who of course won the gold medal in the 1500 for the United States in the 2016 Olympics. Mo Farah, who's won all kinds of uh, medals and, and championships over the last several years. Uh, Mary Kane, Cam Levins, who we've talked about on the podcast before, Luke Puskedra, many, many others. Uh, a lot of them left the training group after the 2015 and 2017 reports emerged suggesting that maybe Salazar was up to some not-so-good things. Um, generally speaking, and we're going to talk more about it next week, but Alberto Salazar was sort of known for aggressively using supplements and infusions and that sort of thing. Uh, he kind of gamed the therapeutic use exemption process, um, and he would always be hunting for off-label side effects of legal drugs uh, that could somehow be beneficial to his runners. Um, kind of following the letter of the law, but not always following the spirit of the law, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, the USADA decision, the USADA decision, however, said that he, quote, trafficked testosterone, a banned performance-enhancing substance, administered a prohibited IV infusion, and engaged in tampering to attempt to prevent relevant information about their conduct from being learned by USADA, unquote. So, 
he clearly crossed the line according to the investigation they've had ongoing for the last four years here. Uh, and as I mentioned, starting today, starting October 1st, he's banned for the next four years. Um, his response, he said, quote, I am shocked by the outcome today. Throughout this six-year investigation, my athletes and I have endured unjust, unethical, and highly damaging treatment from USADA. I have always ensured the WADA code is strictly followed. The Oregon Project has never and will never permit doping. I will appeal and look forward to this unfair and protracted process reaching the conclusion I know to be true. I will not be commenting further at this time. So, didn't want to leave that out, uh, and I really regret the fact that it came out on Monday and we talked to to Michelle on Sunday because she certainly would have had a lot to say about it. But um, Patrick and I will talk more about it uh, in this week's podcast, and maybe we can talk Michelle into coming on the phone or something like that and, and offering her two cents on uh, this bombshell piece of news that came out just the last couple of days here. Uh, before we get into the rest of the news, before we get into the podcast with Michelle here, I did want to do a quick bit of business here and talk about our sponsors. Of course, you know we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. They take a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. If you're on the course at Ironman Chattanooga on Sunday, which is one of the reasons why I didn't go ahead and put this out on Sunday after we recorded on Sunday morning. You saw undoubtedly ITL athletes and ITL fans um, on the bike and on the run. Uh, several ITL athletes competed, and uh, a gigantic chunk of that ITL community showed up to support those athletes. There was a wide variety of athletes that were there. Some that were near the front of the pack, and some that were that were closer to the back of the pack. Um, lots of different people benefit from having a coach, uh, and certainly we saw that at Ironman Chattanooga on Sunday. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. Now, that line I've actually mentioned a few times here already, advocates from start to finish, is actually really important. If something goes wrong on your trip, a lot of times you have to be left to figure that out by yourself unless you have somebody who has planned the trip for you. Um, if you book through Blue Pineapple Travel, you have someone who's connected inside the business and can solve the problem for you while you continue on with your vacation. Um, rather than losing a day or half a day because some mistransfer or because something happened and got canceled, um, let a travel agent deal with that for you while you continue to enjoy your, your vacation. Uh, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with with a group inside the U.S. or abroad for a race or not for a race. They are there to match you to the trip for you. Uh, they help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. And finally, we are sponsored by SlayRx. www.slayrx.com is where you can find them on the internet. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course and long course triathlons. That very same food scientist completed Ironman Maryland this past weekend, as a matter of fact. Um, he started making his own mixes in 
order to address what he saw as deficiencies on course. Now you can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be testing their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. Currently, SlayerX is breaking out a new project called Spark Plug. It's a throwback to Pop Rocks for all those of us who grew up in the 80s, except that it combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can carry it on the run, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Here in Atlanta, by the time the year is out, we will have more than 90 days where the temperatures went over 90 degrees. I think today is day 89. Uh, that's the first time that's ever happened. Uh, and so needless to say, you need to be paying attention to things like hydration and sodium loss. Also, in case you missed it, the same guy that handed Elliot Kipchoge bottles during his world record marathon in Berlin in 2018 handed them to Kenanisa Bekele in the Berlin Marathon this year. And Kenanisa Bekele nearly broke Elliot Kipchoge's world record. Uh, his name is Klaus Henning Skulke, uh, and we talked about him on the podcast last year. Uh, he helped them, of course, stay on their hydration plan and thereby became the only, and, th- and thereby helped them to become the only two people ever to run under 201. So if you think that, that hydration and particular hydration and custom-made hydration doesn't matter. It clearly does, um, and and I think that's something that both of them benefited from in their race, and it's something that you can benefit from uh, with the customized and and tailored uh, different mixes that you can get from Slayer X. Um, and I also, while we're talking about this, I wanted to announce a new effort we'll be doing with Slayer X over the course of the next short while here, monthly questions. Over the next few weeks, send us your questions, put them on our Facebook page, send it to me, george at itlcoaching.com or pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and we'll get one of the Slayer X guys to answer them for us. We're going to have them come on and talk to them for a few minutes, about once a month, about hydration, about electrolytes, about whatever it is you need to know, uh, sweat testing, etc. Uh, remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. Test don't guess with Slay RX. Thanks to all of them for supporting us on the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are welcoming to the podcast... Michelle Frank. Michelle Frank. Michelle Frank is a longtime listener of the podcast. Somebody that we've had like like two minutes worth of, of your talking on the podcast one time, right? That is correct. So, um, Peachtree 2018. Who'd you pick up? That year, I picked up Sarah and Ryan Hall. They mm. came off a flight overseas, and then I went back and picked up Allie Kiefer. Right on. Sarah Hall, who we're going to be talking about here in just a minute, as a matter of fact. But Michelle is, without a doubt, the most intelligent and most informed person when it comes to endurance sports that is not already on a podcast or writing something on a blog or something like that. And we were able to score her here on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Happy to be here. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, and it's a good time, too, because we're like in the midst of championship season here. Uh, you know, Berlin was today. We're about to talk about that, wrapping up this series of the World Marathon Majors. The Vuelta España was recently. 
I know you're excited about cycling and everything. I'm so excited about cycling. <laughs> Kona's two weeks away. The 70.3 championships were recently. Uh, I know you're shocked that Daniela Reef won again. World Swimming Championships were recently, where Simone Manuel became the first woman ever to win seven medals at a single championship. Pretty incredible. Ineos 159, breaking 159, is coming up the same day as Kona in just a couple weeks. The World Trap Championship is currently going on. The World Cycling Championship is wrapping up today after a week. It's an exciting time to talk about the news, Michelle Frank. Yeah, loving it. <laughs> so let's talk about Berlin, though. Let's talk about it. So I got a message from you in the middle of the night. What did that message say? Well, once again, George decided <laughs> to sleep through one of the most exciting men's marathons in the history of marathoning. So, uh, yeah, we watched um, a run that was only two seconds off the world record and a women's race that basically came down to a foot race the last two kilometers, and that's always great to watch. So the men's race was all about time racing the clock and the women's race was really racing so right on it was awesome very Worth cool it waking up at 4 a.m you actually woke up at 4 a.m to watch it i actually didn't set an alarm this year whereas last year i set an alarm because mm-hmm. i wanted to see kipchoge trace the world record mm-hmm. but uh you know natural sleep cycles and i was awake and i knew it was on so <laughs> going back to sleep wasn't happening <laughs> right on, right on. see for me i didn't set an alarm because it's not really on my radar and I think it's in part not on my radar because the 159, Enios 159, is sucking up so much of like my attention when it comes to being a fan and all that sort of thing. Like I've already set up how I'm going to watch that. Yeah, um, I think the marketing for Enios 159 has everybody who's really focused on men's marathoning looking to Kipchoge to see if we're going to see that two-hour mark broken. But then there's also Bekele, Kenanisa Bekele, one of, if not the greatest runner of all time. Every time you kind of think he's done... He's not. He's not. (laughs) Today's race was pretty amazing because you had a lead pack of four and lost one after about halfway and then had down to about three people and after 30K, uh, he dropped off a little bit. And Mm -hmm. you could tell by the commentators and if you've ever seen the sport, I mean, and if you've ever run a marathon after the 30 kilometer mark, if you're going to lose your pack and fall back, it's pretty hard to come back from that. Um, Yep. But a few kilometers later, he was back up there, and then it was uh, watching him run to the finish. I'm not sure his feet were touching the ground. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. Right on, right on. Kenanisa Bekele is he's the world record holder in the 5,000 meters. Um, he's the world record holder in the 10,000 meters. And just to put that in perspective, his 5,000 meter world record is 12:37. That's crazy. 12:37. His 10,000 meter world record is 26:17. Um, fast. And now he's the second fastest marathoner of all time having missed Elliot Kipchoge's record by by two seconds, uh, running 201.41 there in Berlin. Um, you know, he's like I said, he's the greatest runner of all time, one of, arguably one of the greatest runners. Not not, not the greatest marathoner necessarily, but the greatest runner of all time. Um, he's won three Olympic gold medals. He's won five world championship gold medals. He's won one world indoor championship world uh, gold medal. And he's won 11 gold medals in the world cross-country championship, which is just a stunning number of gold medals. Um, yeah, and he's brilliant. Um, it's funny because he's now, let's see, how old is he? He's 37 years old. And so every time you kind of think his career is, is, is on the decline, it's kind of on the wane. I mean, he, he won gold in 2004 in the Olympic Games. Yeah, I mean, the amount of years that he can spend at the top of his game across, you know, a variety of distances is pretty incredible. And I think he's shown us many times not to count him out. Um, there was no hype about him leading up to Berlin. Yeah. There was, you know, nothing really out there. Um, but he came blazing. <laughs> right. Well, he so he he's interesting, too, because he owns like a hotel or something 
in Addis Ababa. Like, you know, that's going to be his next thing. He's going to, you know, be, right. a, be a hotelier. And, and what I've heard, like, from his agent and others over the course of the last few years is that, oh, he's kind of sucked into this hotel. He's not really all that focused and da 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 And people have actually put him and Kipchoge as, like, counterpoints to one another. And they've talked about how Kipchoge will live very simply and is so focused and all that sort of thing. And Bekele is, he, he kind of, he slacks off from time to time. And he'll have like six months where he's like, man, I don't really want to train all that much. And he'll get focused into his hotel and he'll go out at night and all that sort of thing. <laughs> and then, and then, I mean, maybe it was last year, you know, seeing Kipchoge, who he has beaten, you know, he beat in the 2008 5,000 meters in the Olympic Games. I mean, who he's beaten on several occasions. Maybe seeing Kipchoge do that, he's like, you know what? Maybe I should try to get into the marathon. I would say he definitely had a lot invested in Berlin. You don't go out and run the right. time that he ran without having put a lot of work into it. For sure, for sure. Now, despite that, he said, I was recovering from injury only three months ago. My preparation was not 100%. Fantastic result, but I feel sorry missing the marathon record by two seconds. Well, yeah. Um, he says, I'm very happy running my personal best, but I still can do this world record. I don't give up. It is encouraging for the future. Yeah, I mean, I think very much like when there was the four-minute mile barrier, um, you know, we're going to see the world record fall. If we don't see it fall by Berlin next year, mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a good pack of people chasing it in Berlin next year. Um, right. And he could be up there, and he could definitely do it. Right on, right And he on. knows he can do it. Two seconds is uh, pretty amazing. Right on. And and not to be counted out, I mean, Berhanu Legesi, the guy who finished second, the guy that, that he caught up with, ends up running 202.48, which after all is the third fastest marathon in history yeah um, Berlin's fast there's so, no doubt about it <laughs> yeah yeah for sure well and the women's race was fast too um you it was a shetty bakari of ethiopia she ran a personal best 2014 to win um it was her third straight marathon win she ran rotterdam in april of this year and she ran valencia last year in 2018 um mary de baba um, now, not Turanesh Dababa, which you corrected me on, which you said that some people were getting wrong. I did. Um, yeah, Turanesh Dababa, who we've talked about on this podcast before, who was the Olympic champion in 2016. Same last name, not the same person. Mary Dababa, also of Ethiopia. She finished eight seconds behind for second place in 2022. Um, and then Sally Chipjagoof of Kenya was third almost uh, in almost a two-minute personal best in 2.21.06. Yeah, but um, Carrie and Dababa ran shoulder for shoulder for probably at least the last seven kilometers and uh, Dababa just kind of stayed on off to the side off of her shoulder um, and then she tried to make a few moves between 40 and 42 kilometers she went ahead of her twice but Bakari responded every time and then like I said before I was just thinking that Bakari probably definitely does strides after her easy run <laughs> yeah she does her final pickup was you know eight seconds and she only cleared that probably over the last half of a kilometer or something right so on. it was a good foot race it's you don't often get to see a sprint to the finish in a world marathon major so yeah. it was exciting to watch do they start the men and the, they start the men and the women at the same time in berlin right that's the problem with berlin is you have kind of the old-fashioned start where the women don't get a head start so mm -hmm. uh you could tell that the cameras had a lot of trouble keeping up with the female leaders we didn't see anybody behind whoever was in the lead pack. Um, the Americans weren't ever really in the lead pack, mm -hmm. kind of from the get-go. Uh, we never really saw them on camera. But, yeah, that's one of the downsides of Berlin is the women are finishing. The lead women are finishing kind of with the 220 male finishers. And yeah. it's a big – it looked pretty chaotic. So um, there was a, a man, actually, who finished in – 
precarious tape and they mm. had to kind of step aside and then re-put the tape back out so mm. he went the wrong way but uh mm. she got her moment so okay okay <laughs> yeah it's i mean 220 is such a barrier you know and so so if you're a 220 if you're looking to break 220 and you're like an elite marathoner i mean you would go to berlin to do that right yeah i was a little surprised that uh the women were over 220 i think mm. we saw a 218 something last year Mm -hmm. um so but it was a great race you know sometimes it's not about the fastest time it's about who races the best on the day so right on right on well fast time though sarah hall was sixth your girl yeah that's amazing (laughs) sarah hall went out on 222 pace uh through 5k her husband and coach ryan hall posted um i for sure did not think that she would be able to hold on to that she slowed down a little bit uh through maybe the middle 10k from about 15 to 25k but then she gradually just you know she went from 10th to 8th to 6th um and i believe she finished fifth mm-hmm. which is she finished sixth she finished sixth mm-hmm. um an amazing run for her a four minute personal best mm-hmm. she's going to double back now and run new york in november so yeah. we'll see how that goes and then she's going to rest up and come here to atlanta to try to make the olympic team next year so right it'll be interesting to see um you know she's pretty good at serial racing she said this is the first marathon she's had in two years where she didn't have a major injury to overcome during the build-up cycle which could definitely account for a four-minute personal best but that's yeah. a massive personal best i think oh, she's yeah. for somebody at that level for got sure. the third fastest time now of the women going into the trials in february 2020 so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see i mean she's she's taken herself to a whole new level for american women's marathoning so i'm right super on. excited for her it's right great on. for the sport Agreed, agreed. I don't know about this whole doing Berlin to New York, then the trials thing, though. I mean, we'll see, right? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I think if she really shuts it down and recovers after New York, um, she should have sufficient time to rest. I mean, they Mm -hmm. all should have, the experienced marathoners should have sufficient time uh, to rest and recover by the end of February. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen her do this before, Mm -hmm. you know, and we've seen her run back-to-back PRs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So... Mm-hmm. She typically runs over 20 miles three times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just a high mileage person. Um, mm-hmm. She runs a lot of her 26-mile long runs at pace. Yeah. Just a different type of training. Um, it's it's hard to criticize or you know question it when someone goes out and runs a 222 when they true. previously only ran a 226. So yeah, true, what true. can I say? <laughs> true. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Just FYI, there's about 15 weeks between New York and the trials. Um and so, I mean, that's a pretty quick turnaround, right? So, I mean, even if she ends up taking three weeks off, then she has 12 weeks to build. I mean, that's that's the length of a full build. So, it, it, it just seems like a quick turnaround. Now, and, and I think, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I think maybe I'm a little bit skeptical of Sarah Hall doing that much racing and that much volume and stuff because of Ryan Hall. And so, and so I, I, and, and they're two different athletes, of course, but you know, you saw the way that he was, you know, coached by God and, and right. kind of did what he was going to do. And then I think he probably ran too much and just kind of ran himself into the ground. Um, I think there's always going to be a lot to talk about when you look at the way Ryan and Sarah Hall train and race, but mm-hmm. she's definitely, you know, had a lot of upward momentum the last year or two. And it'd be great to see her on an Olympic team. I mean, I she's, she's done everything. She's raced at every distance. Has she been on an Olympic team? She has not been on an Olympic oh, team. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, I'd love to see that for her. I agree. Yeah. She deserves to be on an Olympic team. I mean, when you think about the best runners in the United States over the course of the past half decade to decade, I mean, you know, she's up there, right? Um, yeah. So I would like to see her on an Olympic team as well, but we'll see. Yeah. February 29th, 2020, Atlanta, Georgia. 
<laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, you will. Are you going to run the half marathon the next day? I don't know. Are you going to put it on my training schedule? So we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, marathons and all that sort of thing, well, actually, the half marathon on March 1st is now, since I moved it back so it would dovetail with the trials, it's now like the perfect distance out from the Boston Marathon, which is on April 20th. And congratulations, Michelle Frank. Thank You're you in. Much. I am in. <laughs> so, right on. So uh, tell us real quick about, well, let, let's talk real quick about the Boston entry. So uh, everybody knows they, they lowered, the, well, not everybody knows, evidently. You, know, you and I traded some email about somebody this week who evidently didn't know that they had lowered the Boston standards five minutes this year uh, from last year. Um, last year, you had to run four minutes and 52 seconds faster than the standard in order to be accepted actually into the race. So you could be a Boston qualifier, but you wouldn't be able to race even if you had a qualifying time unless it was four minutes and 52 seconds faster. They lowered all the qualifying times, but then, sure enough, people just started kind of continuing to meet those qualifying times, which I was impressed by. So I initially thought everybody was going to qualify, and I said that on this podcast. I was totally wrong. Um, I amended that within the last couple of months to say it's probably going to be 90 seconds to two minutes. You continually amended that to get increasingly <laughs> higher and higher for the amount of time that the cutoff was going to so, be. So making making you, who had about three minutes, two minutes and 50 seconds, who had two minutes and 50 seconds in hand, increasingly nervous, I am sure. Uh, so sorry about that. Uh, but it ended up being a minute and 39 seconds. Yeah, a minute you had you had seconds. 71 seconds to spare. Amazing. Amazing. I'll take it. <laughs> right on. So, uh, did you say the the field size is 31,000 this year? That's an increase. They increased the Boston qualifiers this year okay. by 1,500. Okay. So I think that's where we saw a few more people get in than would have if they had kept the field size the same. I think the cutoff probably would have been probably in the low two minutes. Okay. Uh, but I do believe there are 3,000 runners, around 3,000 runners that qualified that are not going to get to toe the line. There were, so. yeah. So 27,288 qualifiers applied. And 24,127 qualifiers were accepted. So that's just over 3,000. 3,161 qualifiers. Sounds um, right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a significant portion. I mean, that's 3,000 people who are pissed, right? I'm very happy not to be one of those 3,000 people. <laughs> so, Michelle, I, you qualified last year at CIM, and you've been trying to qualify for a while. Last time you did Boston was when? I was in Boston in 2013. Uh, it was my fifth marathon. I had gotten into marathoning in 2011, and um, it was the first year that they had reduced the standards. I was a little bit younger then. Um, so I went there and had a great race. I ran a PR, ran the course really smart for all the disasters you hear about first-time Boston runners. Mm -hmm. um, and then took a few years to have another child, switch my job, uh, build a house, and then decided I wanted to go back in 2017. Um, the dates are a little tricky for me. I'm a CPA, so I have to deal with tax season. And, right. Um, so, so Michelle always sends me angry emails whenever I say <laughs> on the podcast that you need to pick a race that fits in the rest of your life because the Boston Marathon is never going to fit in your life given that right. you're a CPA. <laughs> so anyway, keep going. Yeah, so I first uh, I wanted to qualify for 2017. Sorry, for 2018 because the dates were perfect. Um, so I went to Philly in the fall of 2016 and uh, suffered a bit of hypothermia, ran about a four-hour marathon there, um, and then started working with George in January 
2017 and we went up to Maine, um, ran a great race, but it turns out that running 10 miles down a mountain just didn't work for me. So kind of walked it in the last 10 kilometers. You got to meet Joan Samuelson at the start. I did. And that was totally worth it. I, and I, I got to go to Maine, which was awesome. I, I actually, I actually take blame for you not doing well in that race because I was so adamant that you meet Joan Samuelson before the start. And you said you met her like 30 seconds before the start. And then you had to throw off all your clothes and run at the starting line, right? Yeah, I was actually literally going to the bathroom in the woods and there she was and she was available <laughs> to take a picture and everybody started screaming for me because my whole group of friends knew that I had wanted to see her um, and that George wanted a picture of me with her. That was a big deal for the weekend. That Which was more important, I think, than my marathon time, actually. Um, but yeah, so oh, that yeah, the weekend was so a success. Well. Make, no, make <laughs> yeah. no mistake, it was definitely a successful weekend thanks to the fact that you got the selfie with, uh, with Joan Benoit totally. Samuelson. Um, yeah, so then I double backed and tried to just do one of those last chance marathons and went up to Erie in September. And uh, turns out running a marathon when you have a pneumonia is really tough. Yeah. Um, so I DNF that race. It was the first time I had ever done that. And that was uh, probably one of the lowest points ever <laughs> of yeah. my athletic history. Um, and took the next year off and then was going to go to Chicago last year. And we had been planning to do that for pretty much a year because I had a guaranteed entry. Mm -hmm. um, and then right before Chicago, I was felt like I was coming into some great fitness and then I got E. coli. Um, so that was, that was really sad. That was about eight weeks. I was down and out. Um, and then between you and another friend, uh, convinced me to go out to Sacramento, try one more time in December. So I felt like I spent all of 2018 training for a marathon. You did. Um, but it all came together. So right on. super excited. And then you just wait, you know, it was about 300 days from finishing and qualifying until they opened registration. Um, so then you register and then you just wait again because not everybody that qualifies gets in. Yeah. So that was a little stressful. It took about 10 days, right? Yeah, it was 10 really long days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a Monday and I think, you know, you're checking your email constantly till Friday and then it's going to be the weekend. So the Boston Athletic Association is probably not going to do business on a Saturday, Sunday. Um, and then they officially announced on Monday that not everybody would be accepted and everybody had predicted there would be a cutoff, but nobody knew for sure. Um, but we found out exactly eight days after we registered that not everybody was getting in. And then it was two more days before they actually announced what the cutoff was and started sending the acceptance emails. So mm. right on. Yeah, right on. And since Michelle is a CPA and, and, and she is into numbers, <laughs> she spent a whole lot of time on Let's Run.com forums and various things, listening to supposed experts. Okay, but I don't experts. ever go on Let's Run. <laughs> it just so happened. It was a little addicting. <laughs> and, and listening to supposed experts talk about field sizes and and upward trends. Well, the numbers were amazing. All sorts of indicators. I mean, and yeah, but those people were just making those numbers up. <laughs> yeah, but it was regression analysis and they had like a deviation. And no, it was, like seriously. But the input. Okay, but I knew that. I, you had, you I had somebody said, like Googling. You had somebody Googling impressive statistical words. Ooh, regression analysis. I'll put that on the Let's Run forum and just to troll people like Michelle. Um, and, <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> well, it worked. Yeah. So anyway, but but yeah, so after, after close to 300 days of waiting, you had 10 excruciating final days there but then you find out you got in yeah i'm really happy i'm super excited right so. on. i'm excited for you michelle um i'm also excited to be on the same training schedule as you can you know all right. super analyze everything you make me do is this what you're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you suffer through this workout also uh, 
Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, mind you, I have I have a marathon seven weeks before that as well. Yeah, that's the problem. So so it's not going to be the same. So that's going to be my fallback excuse. Whenever you're like, did you do the same thing? I'm like, well, I'm training for a marathon seven weeks before. Then I'll have to just back out from Tokyo and figure out what you did. <laughs> All right, very good, very good. So yeah, I'm I'm doing the Boston Marathon next year as well. Patrick's not doing the Boston Marathon next year. So he's a... Uh, I think we're going to miss Patrick. He's going to bring his streak to an end, but he might end up doing the marathon on March 1st, the day after the trials here in Atlanta or something like that. Maybe, we'll see. I would not recommend that. <laughs> Having spectated the trials in LA in 2016. Okay. And then running a marathon the next day. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not nearly... As difficult as the Atlanta course. Yeah. Um, this is my public service announcement to everybody. That's listening. actually a good public service announcement. So you've actually done sign this up before. for the half. Right. Do not run the full if you're going to spend you know four hours on your feet the Saturday before spectating. Point taken. Um, yeah, I make this point a lot. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of people that want to come and you know get a marathon in in Georgia or you know they're going to come for the trials anyway. They should train for that marathon and. I think everyone should just run the half. <laughs> yeah, point taken, actually. And I'm glad you said that. Um, so good advice. And it's worth mentioning, too, along these same lines, that, and this is true in L.A., I know, as well, in 2016, the course that, that folks are going to be running on the day after the trials is not the same as the trials course. That's correct. And so if you're thinking, oh, well, you know, all the Olympians are going to run it, and then I'm going to run it, um, it's not the same. It's actually a profoundly different course, as a matter of fact. Completely different. Yeah. They actually announced they changed the course recently um, from what the test event was um, a few months ago, uh, and now it's going to be, what, three eight-mile loops plus the little two-mile add-on at the end? Yeah. 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 So it's... um. I mean, it's going to be a strategical race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very good. Agreed. Agreed. Very good. Um, Let's talk about some ultra running. You want to talk about ultra running? Yeah. All right. Let's talk about it. So I'm telling you, Michelle Frank needs to come on the podcast more often because I can say ultra running. She's like, sure. I know all about that too. Um, Zach Bitter, new 100 mile world record. Fast stuff. So super impressive. Ran 11 hours and 19 minutes for 100 miles, which is 648 per mile. It's incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Um, he did it at a race or at a meet, I guess you could call it, called the Six Days in the Dome. It's in Milwaukee, and it's on an indoor track. Yeah. It Let's takes a special, you know, special type of person to run around a track for It does, man. Oh, I mean, and we'll talk about special types of people doing ultras when we debrief Cat Bradley's interview here in just a second, but... Yeah, that, so it was more than a 200-meter track because eventually it was... 363 laps, I want to say it was. Um, so what's so, the math on that? Uh, yeah, I can't, can't quite do the math on that, on, but but you're the numbers person. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 more than 200 meters, so it's more than it's it's like six to eight, seven laps per per mile, I would imagine. Um, but uh, but yeah, he then continued on running so that he could also try and get the world record for 12 hours, and he slowed down a little bit. Um, and so over the last 40 minutes, he 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 got about five more miles, um, such that he ran 104.88 miles in 12 hours which is a total of 378 laps fast (laughs) (laughs) it's almost incomprehensible yeah yeah Um. and mind you too that 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 includes time that he like stepped off the track right i mean they're Um, not going to stop the clock right right they don't stop the clock and so so when he had to use the bathroom or when he had to refill a bottle or something like that and he had to stop that counts right and so so his actual his actual moving average was probably under 640 for 12 hours, um, which is is pretty incredible here. It's good stuff. Um, it's great for the sport. 
Yeah, absolutely. He said, um, he said, I've had examples of falling short and running out of the ability to be able to push through self-doubt. Whereas on this one, for whatever reason, maybe just the six-year journey I've been on to get to this point, gave me a lot of ammunition to push past a lot of the hard spots and get into positive self-thought, he said. It almost comes down to like, pick your poison to a degree on race day. Do you want to suffer acutely for a short period of time or suffer a dull pain for a long period of time? I like this quotation. Regardless of whether you pick a 5K, 10K, half marathon, or decide to, you know, push up to the ultra distances, you can certainly realize your full potential which with, with whichever one that is. End quote. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about the ability to suffer in ultra running. Oh, yeah. Kat actually spoke about in her uh, interview. So. Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's talk about Kat here in just a second. But last word on Zach Bitter uh, and his incredible run. He actually negative split it. That's incredible. <laughs> That's, so, I didn't know that. That's yeah. incredible. He ran 540-38 for the first half and 538-35 for the second half. So, yeah, his, his, his back half was a, was a, a two-minute negative split. Um, and mind you, he's doing it on this indoor track, and so there's other people in the race as well. And so he's, the whole time he's kind of weaving in and out all the way around. Um, so if you were to actually count the amount he ran, like not being on more. lane one, yeah, it's almost certainly more. Um, so, yeah, pretty incredible. All right, let's talk about Cat Bradley, who, let's give you a lot of credit, the reason why Cat Bradley was on this podcast was Michelle Frank, and Michelle Frank hooking that up and introducing me to her via email, and Cat came on, and it was great. Yeah, it was a great interview. I think a lot of people thought it was maybe one of your best podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you might have thought so, um, but that's just because this one hasn't come out yet. Um, oh. Tell me, Michelle Frank, what was the stuff that stood out to you about Cat? Um... You know, I loved one of the things that she said. I, I think it was actually my question about you asked her, you know, when she um, when she's out there running, is there anything she takes from being a kindergarten teacher yeah. um, kind of? And she spoke about, you know, long days, but then you kind of had a lead in um, about problem solving. Yeah. And I think that's a big draw for me for ultra running is yeah, just I agree. get out there and, you know, there's always going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, and I think the best ultra runners out there are the people that come up with the solution or mm -hmm. figure out how to work through the problem Agreed. with the underlying hope that the solution is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and she spoke a little bit about that, which I loved. Um, yeah. I totally agree with you on that. And I think that, I think that there's, it's not just solving the problem. It's moving on from it too. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. So like when she talked about her shoe being buried in the mud and she right. literally looked down and couldn't see it, she pulled it out, she put it back on and she's like, well, that sucked. And just kind of kept right. on going. Just got to keep going. Um, every, you know, over the course of a hundred miles, I mean, when she spoke about her Western States victory in 2017, I mean, anyone who follows that race knows the race doesn't even really begin till after 60 miles. So mm -hmm. that's 60 miles of just, you know, figuring stuff out and getting to the point where you're actually going to start to race. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was super cool too. I feel like one of the things that has stood out to me in all the, the, pro athlete interviews that we've done, um, be it Haley Chur or Cat Bradley or, or, or uh, Nicole DiMercuri, whoever, um, is that they all have some mental tools that help them in their sport. Yeah. Like, like to me, to me, the, the most vivid example is, is Haley Chura. Um, when I said, you know, she's an accountant, 
And right. so she so she looks at spreadsheets. And then I said, what's your favorite workout? She goes, well, I like doing mile repeats. Okay, well, what's your favorite bike workout? I like doing hill repeats. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and, and she grew up as a swimmer. And so she clearly has this mindset that's just fine with just sort of same thing again and again and again right. and again and again. Right. You know? Um, and, and Kat, she was a philosophy major as an undergrad, right? Yes. Um, which is all about solving problems right. and thinking deeply. And apparently and, being really good at winning arguments. So, yeah, as she said, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then she becomes a kindergarten teacher, which... Um, and I mentioned this, and I should have looked it up before today, but can, but teachers have to make something like like just an insane number of decisions per hour. Right. Um, and, and she's constantly having to make you know small decisions in terms of, okay, where do I put my foot on this technical trail? But also bigger things like, okay, how do I put this shoe back on in a way that's not going to fall off again? Um, and I think that, that she didn't necessarily choose those things because she thought they were going to make her a better ultra runner. Right. Um, but it definitely laid the groundwork for... for getting her head in the space she needed to have it in order to be able to do that stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She spoke a little bit about being in the flow state, yeah, I which I really cool loved because I think it, you know, applies to not just running ultras, but kind of anything in life, career, family, mm-hmm. any endurance sport, um, mm-hmm. you're kind of going to get the best out of yourself when you mm-hmm. can just get everything out of your head and just mm-hmm. get into that flow state of whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I think sure. we see a lot of that with her. For sure. Yeah. She said that she didn't even realize that, she didn't really even think about the win right. until she was on the track right. with less than a quarter mile to go. Which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but, but which is what you're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And I, mean, I that's, think that's how they win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what so. flow state is, is, is that you say this so in the moment like that. Um, and I think that even surprised her. You know? She sounded like it's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, because she's um, 27, right? That's correct. Um, and so and she won when she was she won when she was 25. Um, and so there there's she she was i felt like she was pretty self-aware but i think there's a level of self-awareness that maybe she'll get after she turns 30 or something like that you know that that she couldn't really articulate necessarily the importance of the flow state but in you can hear it in what she says yeah and i think you can see it when she races um mm. i mean she was a lottery for that race but yeah. she was very clear that she went in there wanting to win yeah um you know so she had the mentality of a champion um yeah. and went out there and it all came together so yeah so to, to be clear, her win, her getting into that race via the lottery and then winning it, that's tantamount to like me winning the Tokyo Marathon next year. Which like, is not going to happen. Which is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, of course not. I mean, that, but that's how, that's how incredible that was. Three former champions were in the race. It Great was race. people were saying that the race was so competitive it was ridiculous. Um, and then I'll, somebody who, who got in via the lottery had a 2% chance of getting in, just goes out there and beats all of them. She did. Yeah incredible what's she like as a person you got to hang out with her for a weekend at the the Wazell camp yeah I mean I was a little starstruck <laughs> to be around her I went to a mm-hmm. running camp up in Pennsylvania and she was there um there are some other big name runners there also but mm-hmm. I was pretty into cat <laughs> so <laughs> she's cool I mean you know she led trail running workshops uh she was super available to talk during when the time she wasn't running um she participated in everything the energy from her and the Solomon crew that was there was amazing um solomon is just out there supporting women in sport and uh they were a great asset to the camp so just there was three of them and um it was great to have them there so okay so i started following her on strava and and so another question that you told me to ask her is which solomon shoes she wears yeah, and I what did. she races in. Um, and I was kind of like, all right, that's a weird question, but I'll ask you that. And then she answered it. She, and she, she said, but I only understood why that was a question until I started following her on Strava. Um, have you seen on Strava? 
how extensive is my Strava usage? <laughs> Good point. Okay. So, so, so. I only got on Strava to follow you so that I could see your workouts. So you could talk crap to me about how I'm making you do things that I don't do myself and or vice versa. And you told me to just look at Strava instead of ask you if I was on Strava, I would just be able to see your workouts. So I signed up for Strava, but I don't really follow people. <laughs> I'm sure that I didn't say it in such a dismissive way as that. I said it in a much more supportive and coach-like manner. If you got on Strava, you would know the answer to your question. I didn't say it with that intonation. <laughs> I said it in a much, much nicer way than that. Okay. I am certain. Okay. Um, but Fair. that being said, if you go on her Strava, have you followed her on Strava? I have not. Okay. But I might today. So you should. She okay. put she posted a bunch of pictures. The run that she said is her favorite run that she was going to do on Saturday, she ended up not doing, which is a bummer. But I'm going to keep an eye out. A little out. bit of a bum knee, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So she said she she's written something on there, a couple of comments on there about how things have not been quite right for. Her. Um, and then she, I mean, she referenced that when we were talking that, that things have been bothering her. But she has, you know, you can put your shoes in Strava, and that tracks the mileage on your shoes and and your bikes too. Um, and she literally has like 16 pairs of shoes in there. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Which is, and so, so I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. That was a legit question because if you're following her Strava, you have no idea what shoes she's going to wear from That's day to right. day. That's right. She so. switched shoes a few times at camp, but she pretty much stuck to the same two pair, at least that I saw. There Not you go. I was stalking her or anything. But. There. <laughs> yeah, no, not that you were stalking or anything. Not that you were, you know, using the bathroom in the woods and then jumped out to get a picture with Joan Benoit Samuelson or anything. So, so I'm not spotting a pattern or anything. <laughs> okay, folks, this is the place where I have to break in in the middle of the podcast and remind you about our sponsors real quick. We were just about to transition from talking about ultra runners to talking about a 12:58 time trial that was run on the Nike campus, and I had a really t- difficult time trying to segue it. So, it seemed like a good time to just sort of hop in here and make this break. Don't forget about SlayRx. You can check them out at SlayRx.com. Pleasant2019 is the discount code there. Don't forget about Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineapple.com. And of course, don't forget about ITO Coaching and Performance, itocoaching.com. Let's get back to it. Hear a little bit about Woody Kincaid, Lopez Lemong, and Matt Centrowitz throwing down 13 flat, 13 flat, and a 1258 in a time trial on a Tuesday night on the Nike Oregon campus. Okay, I don't know how to segue this. Woody Kincaid ran 1258 in like a dual meet. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, they put on a meet at the Nike track in Portland. They called it the Portland 5000. They sent out Woody They actually Kin- gave it a name, Portland 5000? They did. Okay. Sent out Woody Kincaid, Lopez Lemong, and Centrowitz. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Woody Kincaid came in third at, at USA's this year, but mm-hmm. he didn't, he is not going to represent USA at the current world championships in Doha because he didn't have the qualifier. Right. Um, but he went out here with two of his teammates, home track, people seven lanes deep cheering them on and, and ran a 1258, yeah. which is amazing. Um, Olympic qualifier. Yeah. And, you know, brought two teammates with him right at 13 minutes. Uh, it's just now they're top, you know, they're all three top 10 fastest yeah. Yeah. 5Ks ever for american yeah. so yeah it was a pretty impressive race yeah so um, imagine going out in what is basically a glorified practice except that's all we, it was we, yeah and, and it, so it was, it was at the nike facility which if you've never seen pictures of the nike track at the nike facility it's kind of cool because there's literally a forest, forest in the infield that's right i mean it, it is not made for field events it's made nope. for running right um, and not even really made for for sprinting it's made for distance running i don't know that they even train field athletes on that track well they there can't there's not space. Train them there i don't know if <laughs> that shot put something there. something into a tree um and so so 
if you stand at the finish line, you can't see the 200 meter mark because there's a bunch of trees in the way. It's like looking through a forest. And so they did it, like you said, at night. It was on a Tuesday, right? Yeah, it was just a random weeknight. Yeah, yeah. And they had 2,500 people from the Portland running community showed up to cheer them on. And like you said, there's no stands there. And so they're all standing in like lanes four, five, and six of the track. They might have been closer to lane two by the time you came around that last 200 meters. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And then, and, and they did have like for real timing. So, oh, so sure. fully automated timing. So it's because they wanted I mean, the time to count. the goal was to get the Olympic Games qualifiers. Right, so right, they right. definitely were an official race. And then they had a few pacers in there, but the three guys that they really wanted to run well were, like you said, Woody Kincaid, Matt Centrowitz, who won the 1500 meter gold medal in 2016 Olympic Games, um, and Lopez Lamong, who's a 5,000, 10,000 meter US champion. Um, and, and like you said, Woody Kincaid runs 12.58, which makes him the fifth fastest American of all time. Um, and then Lopez Lamong and Matt Centrich both run 13 flat, um, which makes them in the top 10 uh, fastest Americans of all time. Um, yeah, kinda, Woody said that he yeah. felt like he was closer to 13-15 shape. He might have even run a little bit slower, but the crowd just, you know, he felt like the crowd just kind of... Lifted him. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, they were aiming for 13-13. Yeah. And the difference between 13-13 and 12-58... Is a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's 100, <laughs> it's me- it's 100 meters. It's 100 meters. It's 100 meters. Yeah. Yeah. It's and amazing. So, so, yeah, a pretty incredible thing there. If you There's lots of video on it, you know, because, you know, as you it's can imagine... It's a great video to watch. <laughs> it is. It's fun. Like, all those Portland runners out there, they were, they were recording it and putting on their vlog and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so. and you actually see emotion from Jerry Schumacher, who's the Bowerman Track Club coach, and we don't get to see him much on camera or mm-hmm. film or anything. So, I think it was a pretty exciting night to be out there. Speaking of stalking, if Jerry Schumacher put him out there a little bit more, Michelle Frank would undoubtedly be one of his stalkers. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but worthwhile, though, because Jerry Schumacher, for those of you who don't, who don't quite insiders, he's the coach of Shalane Flanagan. Correct. He's the coach of some former triathlete who talked about winning a gold medal in 2020 that everybody's forgotten about now. What's her name again? <laughs> Maybe Gwen Jorgensen. Oh, Gwen Jorgensen. That's it, right. Yeah. Georgia's favorite triathlete. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and several others. Um, very good. He, uh, he coaches... Um, uh, Amy Craig too, right? He does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a little fascinated by the coach athlete relationship and he keeps a really low profile. He has no social media. He barely does interviews. People can really rarely get him on camera. Um, mm-hmm. so it's great. Um, I remember when Shalane Flanagan won New York city, I think the biggest thing people watched over and over again was him greet her when she walked into the hotel and give her a hug. And, you know, it's just, it's cool to see him when he gets excited about his right athletes. So. Yeah, he's kind of this kind of a Svengali. He's like an enigma. Like a Yoda. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's clearly a, a very successful coach. I was talking to Josh Glass about him. I didn't even tell you this. No. Um, and so after Woody Kincaid ran 12.58 in a private time trial, um, <laughs> I happened to have a, an appointment with Josh Glass the next week. Um, and I said, Josh, what do you think about Woody Kincaid? Um, and he said, he said, clearly he's very good and he says i was talking to jerry schumacher about him one time and he said that that josh glass is somebody who would have access to jerry right, schumacher right right uh, josh glass who is currently at, in doha at the world championships Correct. right now working on the u.s team um and so um he said that that jerry has always said that he's super duper talented um and that's the reason why they've kept him around um it's because he's so incredibly so amazing he's so talented um but he tends to get injured right um and so I think that has a lot to do with why they said, okay, Tuesday night in Portland, you're not injured. Let's try and run a real fast time. Yeah. Um, um, getting the Olympic Games qualifier out of the way, you know, mm-hmm. when he's not going to go to Worlds this year, allows yeah. him to kind of shut things down and regroup and, 
get rid of anything that might be bothering him now to have a you know successful 2020 um, right on a 12.58 5k guy should be on the olympic team next summer well yeah yeah <laughs> no for doubt. sure for sure but you know the trials process he has to yeah he has to the trials. On the day, so. it's it's also worth mentioning one last thing here so like we said, we're recording this. It's Sunday now. You just did your long run at Kennesaw. You um, just did your workout in air conditioning. <laughs> I did my long run at Kennesaw yesterday. That's, you know, whatever. Yesterday. <laughs> um, but but it's worth mentioning as well. So we're recording this, and they ha- they've run the prelims of the 5K, of the 5,000 meters at the World Championships, but they haven't run the 5,000 meter final yet. That's right. Um, and And one of the people who has made the final in the 5,000 meters is Mo Ahmed. Um, and Mo Ahmed was a pacer um, for. He's also part. He's coached by Jerry Schumacher. He's Canadian. Right. Um, but but he was a pacer during this race. Right. So five thousand meter race. They run twelve fifty eight and thirteen flat. Of the five thousand meter race, how much of the race do you suppose Mo Ahmed paced? I actually don't know the answer to that. Just give me a guess. Like like if I said, hey Michelle, I want you to pace me for I a five thousand meter race. They dropped the pacer after like two k. So they dropped they a couple dropped of the pacers. Early, they dropped so. a couple of pacers, but they had one last pacer, Mohamed. So if I said to you, Michelle, I need you to pace me for this five k race, how much would you be expecting to do? Like how far would you be expecting to have to pace me? Maybe through three k, maybe a little bit more. I mean, a little anything Fair. more than three k would be pretty awesome. Fair. Mohamed took them through four thousand six hundred meters. That's crazy. He literally stepped off the track with one lap to go. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and and so double back for worlds. Right. So if you're looking for a dark horse candidate to win the world championships five k, when, when's the, the by the finals is today or tomorrow? Yeah, look to Mohamed from Canada here, who can pace a guy running twelve fifty eight for. 11 and a half out of 12 and a half laps. Yeah, so pretty incredible there. Um, All right, so while we're talking about amazing stuff in world championships, why don't we skip all the way down to talk about the world championships marathon that was a couple nights ago. Let's do it. So um, the men's, so we've talked about the the world championships are going on right now. Um, It's the world championships track and field are going on right now. The world cycling championships are also wrapping up today with the men's race, Um, but... um, they're in Doha, and they just started, like, on, what, Thursday? Yeah, I think the first day was – it's hard with the time change. Thursday right. night, Friday morning for okay. us. Um, okay, But they ran the marathon Doha Friday at midnight. Yeah, um, so 11.59. 11.59, yes. right, which was about 5 o'clock Eastern time. Right, so right. 5 um, o'clock p.m. Did you, and, and you got up – you didn't get up and watch it. You watched it. <laughs> I was cooking dinner. You stayed up it. and watched it. All right. What did you watch it on? I awake at 5 p.m. So <laughs> – well, if you're awake at 4 a.m., it stands to reason that you might be asleep at 5 p.m. I don't know. Um, all right, so so 11.59 start. It was 90 degrees at the start with 71% humidity. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of talk leading up to the marathon about whether they were actually going to cancel it. Um, because which of, is some... Which is crazy going. because yeah. the weather in Doha anyway is not, you know, favorable for for a marathon or even, you know, a world track and field championships. But the stadium has air conditioning for the athletes who compete in the stadium. But the marathoners and the race walkers, they don't get to compete in the stadium. Let's so. take just a minute and just repeat what you just said. The stadium is air conditioned. That is correct. It is. Yeah. Okay. Just keep going. But but if, if there's ever like a more like... So Doha, for those of you who aren't aware, it's the capital of Qatar. Um, I mean, Qatar, UAE, Bahrain... Like yeah. the, the, those countries. If Iron Man sold it, sold to Bahrain. I think, so track and field. Absolutely. <laughs> well, so so is there 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 are two world tour cycling teams. One is Team Bahrain, and one is one is Team UAE. Um, and so so yeah, 
the 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 Middle East right now um, ha, is is really trying to, to to make an impact on endurance sports, um, and so the IWF put the World Championships in the capital of Qatar in Doha, where it is, you know, ninety seven degrees right now. <laughs> um, Crazy conditions yeah, to run a marathon. Yeah. So so they, so they start the marathon at eleven fifty nine p.m. They literally yes. run it in the dead middle of the night, but it's still ninety degrees outside and seventy one percent humidity. Um, like the winner uh, was a woman named uh, Ruth Chepnigenich, um from Kenya, and she quoted she was quoted afterwards saying, "It was hot, really hot, <laughs> and very tough." Dropping out came into my mind, but I kept going and prayed to finish the race. And she won. <laughs> yeah. That's um, the winner. Usually the winner doesn't talk about, oh, I thought about dropping out. Well, most people that thought about it, I think, did drop out. Right? So, yeah, um, for that's sure. probably why she won. <laughs> right? Um, and so, and and she ran, for lack of a better way of saying it, she ran a time that, that shows how difficult it is. Correct. Yeah, she she won in a it was 232 she won in, right? Correct. Yeah, she won in 232, which, you know, let's let's compare that to the Berlin Marathon, which was this morning, which was one in 220, right? Yeah, I mean, you can have 10 American women under 232 on a good race day. Yeah. Um so it's nothing, you know, the times nothing impressive, but uh anyone who finished that marathon, um, right. that's impressive. Right. So. Right. So so when we say the times not impressive, to be clear, what we're saying is is hey she's a world champion that's she badass is. it is <laughs> um but it shows you how difficult the conditions were that that you could become a world cha- that that she she had to run 232 in order to do it she only had to run 232 yeah. in order yeah. to get a gold yeah. medal um so in those sorts of conditions and we talked about this a little bit after the or in difficult conditions we talked about this a little bit after boston um in in uh 2018 um or 2019 earlier this year no 2018 course um and so we talked about about you know those those terrible awful rainy windy conditions all that sort of thing a lot of people who were sort of unsung came up and won um and and did well one of those people was the top american a woman named roberta groner who was sixth place in 238.44 she is a 41 year old mother of three boys a 12 year old 13 year old and a 14 year old she is from new jersey she was 30th at the halfway point yeah, she uh, she went out pretty slow. Um, she went out really conservative. Um, I actually had she was seventeenth at ten k, but and then she I'm gonna then, trust. And then she dropped yeah, back. And a then bit. she dropped back a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that you know over the last half you you saw her go from seventeenth, and then she was tenth, and then you know she was eighth, and then she was sixth. So she was just picking people off one by one. Um, she said after in an interview that her. You know, her the biggest thing she did was just stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. She ran with a handheld, yeah. um, which most of us who run marathons, even recreationally, don't mm-hmm. want to do. Yeah. Um, but that was probably the smartest move of the day for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's coming off a 229 in Rotterdam earlier right. this year and gearing up for the trials. But we're also going to see her double back in New York. Yeah. Um, so she had already accepted her invite to New York when... USATF extended the invitation to her for Worlds and kind of got together with her coach and decided they would do both. Right on. Um, It's a great day for her. Fantastic. Yeah, and actually the fact that she ran 229.09 at Rotterdam gives you an indication of, okay, what what is she capable of? And then 
So she was nine minutes slower at this race. Right. Yeah. And it's not like she had a bad race. She finished sixth. She had That's a good right. race. And not only is she a mom of three, but she works as a nurse. So, so right on. And yeah, she, <laughs> Busy she, woman. she, she works full time. She runs a hundred miles a week. She said, so yeah, pretty incredible. Um, yeah. And like you said, next up New York city marathon. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how she does at New York city. Right. Um, not only because, I mean, I feel like this race, okay. So not, not taking anything away from Berlin and the two twenty two that Sarah Hall ran, cause she's going to circle back and do New York as well. But this was a draining race. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Roberta recovers, um, you know, to get back on the start line at New York and to have a good day there. Right um, on. But, you know, she'll show up. So. Right on, right on. She said afterwards, my kids can see something that I do passionately. We all do something passionately, right? Could be play the piano, whatever you want it to be. Do something. As long as it's something you love to do with your heart, that's all you got to do. Once they ask me to do Worlds, I mean, I'm 41. It's absolutely an honor for me to come out here and represent my country. So. That's right. Um, yeah, cool stuff, right? I, I might be getting a little bit choked up. <laughs> well, Michelle's a little bit cold, more, more, more cold and calculating than I am. She's like, whatever, three kids, nurse, 100 miles a week. She's a badass. And I mean, I'm like, but, but, but I always say that I, I do appreciate... Um, and we talked about this with Katie Ferguson a few weeks ago. Um, I, I, I want my kids to do something and have something they're proud of. And I don't care what it is. It can be acting. It can be singing. It can be art. It can be drawing. It can be running. It can be soccer. It can't be football. Of course um, not. <laughs> but, but, but there's all sorts of things it can be, you know. And I just want them to have something that they can take pride in. And I think it's really cool that she's modeling for her kids, you know, apply your passion to something and, and, and take pride in it. Yeah. And just one other comment. Uh, I think America was only one of two countries to have all three of their entrants in the marathon actually finish the Is race. Is that right? Um, yeah, it was a pretty tough day. Um, For sure. Pretty much every other country saw at least one person from their trio drop wow. out. So, wow. Um, shout out to Carrie Demoff, who got 13th. Mm -hmm. She races for Bowerman, not yep. the elite track club, but kind of the... Mm -hmm second tier um she had a great race finished yeah. the 13th got as high as 10th so yeah. great run for everybody just she, finishing is awesome she, she was running with roberta in the first half yeah i there. think they really worked together i think that mm -hmm. was their plan mm -hmm. um you know but on a day like that um typically one person's going to start to feel a lot better than the other so right. it was roberta's day a great race for her yeah right on, fantastic. right on who was the third american woman there yeah yeah i don't know all right I we'll look it up name. here in just a second <laughs> we'll look it up here in just a second and and while we're looking it up I want to mention something that popped up on Twitter recently, and I just kind of want to get to what you have to say about it, and it's worth mentioning here. So Japan Running News, do you follow them on Twitter? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so Michelle is the person that I count on whenever something on Twitter or on Instagram happens and gets posted. She will send me the screenshot and say, did you see this? I'm like, of course I saw this. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I totally didn't see that. Um, because you're more active on Twitter and Instagram than I am. Um, but I'm more active on Strava than you are. Um, and Fair. so so uh, Japan Running News, who's... Do you know the guy's name from Japan? I can't remember his name. I can't remember it. I don't know if I can pronounce it. We, 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 well, no, it's, a, it's an American guy. We, we talked about it last year um, because he's this guy. He's, he's an American expat. Um, right, and he's right. like buddies with Yuki Kawauchi. Um, and and he's, he's kind of served as a de facto agent for Yuki Kawauchi. Um, he actually put a post on the Japan Running News blog uh, a few couple of months ago. And it, he went out and ran the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Marathon course on the day that the men are going to be running it next year. And he started at the time that they're going to be starting. And how was that? Hot. Brutal. Yeah. Right. And, it, and it was cool because he said, he said while he was out there doing it, he saw these other like Olympic athletes, Olympic level athletes doing it too. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, you know, there, Doha had a lot of slack for the marathon and there's people that say, well, that's going to be the conditions or similar conditions at the Olympic games next year. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I guess we'll see, you know. Yeah, he said it was hot. Learn. Yeah. So they're 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 starting it at like six or six thirty a.m. There's people that have said, "Hey, you need to start at midnight," the way that Doha did. Uh, we'll see. Um, by the way, one other thing about Roberta Groner. She stayed on America. She stayed time. on Eastern I, yeah, Time. Say that. Yeah, which is cool, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, so she went to bed at two a.m. and mm-hmm. woke up at two p.m. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so that was smart. I mean, that's yeah. really smart. Yeah, because she said she she basically looked at it and said, "I don't. Why would I try and adjust for jet lag when I have to race in the middle of the night?" Right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So I thought it was cool. Okay, so anyway, Japan running news on Twitter posted up to this point it's changed now um because this was before kenanisa bekele's run this morning um and all that sort of thing but they posted the top 10 marathon times by country and what they did is they took the the 10 best times in kenya and the 10 best times in brazil and the 10 best times in korea and the 10 best times in the united states and they took they averaged them all together and they said okay what country right now has the best averages they did the women and they did the men so right now if you take the top 10 2019 this is just this year 2019 world times and you average them together you get 219.45 for the women which is pretty, pretty impressive amazing. yeah for sure um number one country who do you suppose it is kenya Kenya is correct with 221 flat. Number two country, who do you suppose it is? Japan? No, Japan's number, Japan's number three. Good oh, guess. Okay. Um, Ethiopia is number no, uh, Ethiopia is number two. Okay, I uh, 221.21. Japan is number three with 225.23. And number four is? America. The United States. Yeah. Uh, 227.24. I think the most impressive thing about that is just marathoning in Japan is mm-hmm. just oh, it's unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure, oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, so the Tokyo Marathon. Um, so I'm doing. I, I got into Tokyo for March 1st of next year, and I was kind of looking and sort of starting to think about goals and where I wanted to finish and all that sort of thing. Essentially, the time that got me 76th in the New York City Marathon overall would get me about 350th in the Tokyo Marathon. It's super competitive. 350th. That's incredible. There's gonna You're be 300 gonna Japanese more. people. I know, but but the best thing, that that amount of density. Correct. That's incredible. Correct. The country's put a lot of effort and money and publicity into building up running. So right on. Good for them. Yeah, right on. I think it's great. Um, men's side, the current world average, and again, this is out without Bekele this morning. Men's side, the the world average as of the time that they posted this on Twitter a couple weeks ago was 203.55. It's faster than that now. Number one was. Uh, Kenya again, maybe. No. Wrong, Michelle. Okay, but this is men's, so I'm less. You know that I'm less. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Well, what would be your second guess then? Uh, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, of course. So two two oh four thirty two as of a couple of weeks ago, and then number two was Kenya two oh five nineteen, which is probably faster now too. Number three. Japan. Japan. Yeah. I think I remember seeing that they were coming in yeah. third on both. Which is, which is. But I'll tell you, the United States is not fourth. <laughs> so they're not. Yeah. But the United States is not too far behind. So you have Japan, Morocco, Uganda, then the United States. All right. So we the the United States top ten times it's two eleven fifty nine, um, which is striking we saw because that in Boston. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the Jared Ward and, and Scott Fable brought Correct. that down in Boston certainly. Yep. Um, but we are about twenty seconds in front of Eritrea. All right. There you go. So we're faster than um, some of them. So you know it. Um, but uh, but yeah, Morocco at two ten seventeen. That's no joke either. Um, but anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting to look at and worth mentioning. All right. Speaking of fast times in the marathon, let's talk about the one fifty nine challenge, the Enios one fifty nine challenge. Um, supposed to be two weeks from this weekend. It's going to be interesting. So uh, you think he's going to do it? I think he's going to do it. I I know. 
for me, it's not as interesting as watching him break the world record in Berlin last year. I'd rather see a world record broken or a fast time, you know, within the realm of a real race. Um, If he does it, it doesn't really, it does go down as the first person to break two hours in the marathon, but it's not official, official world record. So um, there's something just about, you know, it not perfectly curated for him to break two hours and Mm -hmm. him just running really fast and having a great race in the realm of, of marathoning that's more impressive to me than a perfectly, you know, staged uh, opportunity for him to break two hours. But it'll be interesting. I mean, I'll definitely be watching. Okay, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Fair. You were impressed by Woody Kincaid's 1258, and that was staged and per- that's because perfectly w- curated and all that sort of thing, too. Yeah, that's because it's just great to see Woody Kincaid, you know. I mean, <laughs> oh, so you're saying out. it's okay for Woody Kincaid, but it's not okay for Elliot Kipchoge? Well, but I don't think there was as much into Woody Kincaid's 5K as there is into Indios 159. True. I mean, oh, you've yeah. got Certainly pacers, not. you've got, I mean, meteorologists, you've got shoes, you've got clothes, you've got arm sleeves, you've Truth. got the perfect course. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the 5K guys are just on the Bowerman track that they train on every day. So all they really had were pacers. True. True. Sorry, right. George. <laughs> fair. Fair. I just want to make sure that we were we were not touching on some underlying prejudice of, of Michelle Frank here. I think he's um, ready to do it. You know, I would you, love to see it within a world marathon major, um, but this is what he wanted to do. So, you know, I agree with you. I think it's less, I think, I think it doesn't feel more artificial to me necessarily. Um, if he, if he does it on this sort of, I like how you use the word curated, uh, uh, experience, but, um, but it does feel more fun for lack of a better way of saying it, if oh, he does it in a race. For, I mean, I don't remember how many million people tuned in to the Breaking 2 oh, project from Nike, but yeah. for sure, it's great. Yeah. So he has, we talked, we've talked about it before on this podcast, and initially, um, Enios had said that they were going to set it up in such a way that it addressed all the rule things that, that Breaking 2 didn't, right. such that it would count as an actual record if he ran it. And then they trashed that. I don't think they could make it happen. Yeah. So. I don't think so either. Um, the biggest thing, the biggest rule that they're breaking, for lack of a better way of saying it, or the biggest rule they're not adhering to and that, that will nullify this not actually a world record um, is the Pacers rule. Right. Um, they're doing the same thing. Dropping where, in and where, out. Yeah, where Pacers drop in and out and all that sort of thing. And the number of Pacers is incredible. You have Tesfayun Alkanu from, from Ethiopia, Thomas Akeo from Uganda, Emmanuel Bet from Kenya, Mande Bushindich from Uganda, Paul Chalimo from the United States, Augustine Chogi from Kenya, Victor Chumo from Kenya, the Ingebrigtsen brothers from Norway. That's going to be an interesting one. All three of them, Philip, Heinrich, and Jacob, all from Norway. I'd put them on my pacing team if it were me. So why? Because they're because good they're looking. They're all amazing. <laughs> they're good looking. Are Michelle they? Frank. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you are full of garbage. Um, no, they are good looking. I'll tell you that. So, but they look different from one another. They don't necessarily look at bro. I take that back. They look really similar, George. Jacob <laughs> and I think Philip are the two good looking ones. Heinrich, even his picture on Enios 159 Challenge website, it's like not actually a picture of him. It's like the silhouette, and he's wearing sunglasses, and so you can't really get a look at him. Okay. Uh, well, anyway. Watch him when the race goes So down. I look forward to it. Uh, Philemon Ketcherin from Kenya. Stanley Kabani from the United States. Whoop, whoop. Shadrach Kipchur from the United States. Uh, Noe Kipkamboy from Ch- Kenya. Gideon Kipkatur from Kenya. Vincent Kiprodich from Kenya. Marcus Kipsarum from Kenya. Eric Kiptanui from... 
Kenya, Moses Kowicz from Kenya, Shadrach Kowicz from Kazakhstan, and Micah Kogo from Kenya, Bernard Legat, yeah, my man <laughs> from the United States, um, Paul Kalimo is he so, part of it? So Paul Kalimo is part yeah. of it. Um, Abdallah Mande from Uganda, Khan Keegan Ozbilin from Turkey, Jack Rayner from Australia, Shala Ragasa from Ethiopia, Brett Robinson from Australia, Timothy Torotic from Uganda, and Julian Wanders from Switzerland. And do you know how they rotate in and out? Mm-hmm. I mean, is there anything yeah. about that? No, that's a lot of pacers. That's a ton of pacers. I mean, that's like rotating for three or four guys in and out every two or three times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's a, a multi-loop course. They're going to be behind a car, just like they were before. They have the little lasers on the ground like they had before. I remember that. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I've, I watched on the video... Um, you know, so Ineos 159 Challenge has a YouTube channel and they're putting out like 15 to 17 minute videos. They put out like two or three of them over the course of the last little while. And one of them they put out was like a practice video. Um, and it's the Pacers practicing, hopping in and hopping out and hopping in and hopping out. And it's, it's a dance, man. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to watch. So you actually pointed out to me, um, about a, a, a recent event um, it was a guy from uh, from Anthony Caringa Minga um, went to the world's fastest marathon in Spain. Um, it has a six thousand five hundred six foot elevation drop. Um, he ran the first half in fifty nine thirty, but then he slowed dramatically in the second half to one ten oh eight, and he ended up winning the race in two oh nine thirty eight. Um, but his marathon personal best was two twenty two. Yeah, it so, went out a little fast. <laughs> so it went out a little fast, uh, 5930. But it kind of stands to reason, you know, okay, so so maybe maybe if we want them to do it within the confines of a, a regular race, maybe, maybe. Well, I wouldn't put a guy with his PR as the person to break two hours. <laughs> okay, well, tell, okay, so tell me this. And I was thinking about this when I saw this. Um, so He there, did this on his own, though. I mean, so, he. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So, well, I, I would say this. So, so. So there's, and I kind of jumped to this a little bit too quickly. Um, there are people who suggest that the way the two-hour marathon is going to be broken is going to be by some guys who are like in the 206, 207 range going out and running a net downhill marathon, okay? Um, tell me this. If you put, say, Kenanisa Bekele versus Elliot Kipchoge on the California International Marathon course, which you, you ran last December, what do they run? I think they're probably right under 202. You think so? I don't I don't know. Same as Berlin? Could, yeah, I think it's might be a little bit slower than Berlin. I mean, I've never hmm. run Berlin. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't think you're going to ever see this where somebody goes out and runs, you know, a 58 59 minute first half and they're mm-hmm. that far under. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you're going to see it with a positive split. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know that a net downhill course is the answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you about, about these massive net downhill courses. Yeah, I think they yeah. really tear up your legs. I right. mean, my experience at Sugarloaf is the only experience I've had, but right. we kind of, you know, climbed for the first 10 miles, but it was uh, pretty easy kind of rolling hills. And then we literally went down for 10 miles straight. And mm-hmm. by the time I got to 20 miles, I had, I mean, I walked it in. Yeah. I, I had nothing. I was shattered. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that a big net downhill is the way to do it. Yeah. So. I don't think so either. I, I think that, that, and that's the reason why I wonder about by CIM, because it is a net downhill, but only slightly. George, you need to run CIM. I it agree. It doesn't feel like a net downhill. But see, that's I mean, what that's what makes it great, though, effort, right? 
Yeah, it's amazing. Are you going to go next year? So not next year. I'm talking about going in 2024. Since when? I thought you were going to go I've next been telling year. you all that all, all along. 2024 when I'm 50 years old. Okay. Which, side note, I'm going to be 50 years old in 2024, and that's alarming. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, and so so what was I going to say about that? Oh, but but I think, and we're going to talk about this on the podcast next week when I talk to Lee Ragsdale, who was the captain of my Blue Ridge Relay, uh, uh, relay team, um, that I have a newfound respect over the course of the past two years for downhill running and how much it can beat you up. And so just because a course is downhill, like if you're doing the, the Revel Mount Charleston and stuff like that, you know, all those are the Cottonwood Marathon, which I know Patrick's run. Um, if you're doing those super downhill marathons, they're not necessarily guaranteed PRs because it's a different sort of challenge. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about downhill training when you're going into that yeah. you know, big of a net downhill over 26 miles. I do too. I do too. Yeah, Jason Coop, who is a uh, who is the head of ultra training for uh, for Carmichael Training Systems, um, he trains Casey Licktig and Dakota Jones and a few other ultra runners. He says that when it comes to ultra running. He thinks there's actually four skills you have to have. One is just sort of regular flat ground normal running. Um, one is uphill running. One is downhill running. And one is hiking. He says you have to actually address all four of those needs in your training program. I believe um, it. And so, yeah, downhill running is it's actually a skill that you have to address through your training. He says for ultra running, but I would say for any sort of long race, if it has a, a profound amount of downhill in it. Yeah, very good. All right. We're pushing up against time here. You're a mom of three as well. So we'll wrap it up with, I don't know, what do you want to wrap it up with? I don't know. What do you want to wrap it up with? So it's your well, you, podcast. You, you had, so it's our <laughs> oh, podcast. Let's talk about Jenny Simpson. So let's talk about Jenny Simpson. Oh, yeah. um, so Jenny Simpson at the Fifth Avenue Mile. Yeah. Have so you run the Fifth Avenue Mile? Why would I ever go race a mile? Because the Fifth <laughs> Avenue Mile, so why that would... That sounds so painful. Oh, It's super painful, but the Fifth Avenue Mile looks damn cool. Don't tell me it doesn't. Okay. I mean, if you go, I'll go, but I, I have no desire to do that. Okay. So Fifth <laughs> Avenue Mile, as the as the name suggests, is a mile on Fifth Avenue in New York City and is a straight shot one mile down the street. Maybe Blue Pineapple Travel can plan a trip for us. That is a fine, <laughs> fine sponsor plug. I appreciate that, uh, Michelle Frank. But um, but it's a straight shot. You can see the finish line from 600 yards out. But it's not flat. But it's not flat. So. Yeah, there's a slight uphill in the first half, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very slight. Very slight. It's not that massive uphill you get at the 23 mile mark of the uh, of the of the <laughs> New York City Marathon. New York City Marathon, but um, so very slight uphill in the first half, very slight downhill in the second half. Um, and Nick Willis won it again this year, and and Jenny Simpson He's won it again this year. He's also one that you can't ever count out. Nick right. Willis, so. Yeah. So so Nick Willis has won it several times, and Jenny Simpson has won it how many times in a row now? So this is her eighth win, but it's God. her seventh consecutive win. Jeez. Uh, she tied the course record in 2017, but this time she cut half a second off of that. So she ran a PR, ran a course record. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing to see somebody at her level. I mean, she's really been one of the best in the world at middle distance, 1500 miler, uh, almost 10 years now. So um, yeah. it's pretty cool to see that deep into the sport and you're still running PRs. Right on. Gives the rest of us hope. <laughs> right on. I like Jenny but Simpson. She's a great cool. ambassador for the sport. She's mm -hmm. a New York Roadrunner ambassador. She's just stayed with the same coach since college. I mean, she's the real deal. No drama, hard work, mm -hmm. world championship, Olympic medals. So I love her. I yeah. think most people love her. Right on, right on. She was wearing the New Balance 5280s. She was. Do you Which, think that did it? Do you think that was the difference between the course record and the not course record? Maybe. I mean, I'm sure New Balance would like to think that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually asked Jeff Dengate. Um, Who's that? The editor for Runner's World. The guy who does all the shoe reviews. 
See, this he is why you should have been. In the, this is the reason why you should be on the podcast so much sooner. He ran in the fifty-two eighties also, and I, I just responded in the Fifth Avenue Mile. Yes, all right. And I asked them how they that how that, they that race that you and I are going to do sometime over the course of the next few years, right? Along with a continue. For a mile? What so, do my workouts look like for a mile? Oh, you're going to hate them. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Uh, anyway, so I think you know. I think if you're up on your toes, mm-hmm. um, they're a great shoe. But my understanding also is they're taking that 5280 and making a marathon version of it with a mm. carbon plate in it. Okay. Um, so that's kind of a shoe that was designed for Jenny for a mi- to be a miler on the roads. Mm-hmm. And they're basically have a 5280, so to speak, in the works for the marathon. Okay. Um, so that'll be exciting to see. So they call it the 5280 because there's 5,280 feet in a mile. What are, what are they going to call the marathon version. Well, how many feet are in a marathon? <laughs> that's that's exactly right. So what what is five thousand two hundred eighty times twenty six point two? Quick math, go CPA. I actually can't do that. And I oh. turned off my phone, so oh. I can't even look at my calculator. <laughs> no, letting us down. Well, on that letdown note, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up the podcast for this week. So much cool stuff that we didn't get to talk about that we'll be sure to talk about next time here. Um, but Michelle. Thanks for being here. Thanks, George. It was fun. So, folks, make sure you reach out to us on, on the Facebook page. Reach out to us on, on SoundCloud, wherever it is, on Twitter, wherever it is you happen to reach out to, on our new Instagram, and tell us how much you liked having Michelle on the podcast so that she will be inspired and encouraged to come back sometime. George is fully on Instagram now. This is a great change from a year ago. <laughs> I mean, George has got personal Instagram most pleasant podcast Instagram. So you're getting there. Right on. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, by Blue Pineapple Travel, and by SlayRx. If you want to reach out to me, you can always find me, George, at ITOcoaching.com. If you want to reach out to Patrick, it's Patrick at ITOcoaching.com. Or you can send us a podcast email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. If you want to find ITO Coaching and Performance, they're at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. If you want to find Blue Pineapple Travel for all your travel needs, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. See all the incredible places where folks are traveling thanks to Blue Pineapple Travel. And, of course, our newest sponsor, SlayRx. You can find them at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash SlayRx, or on Instagram at Instagram.com, here for, the number four, here for SlayRx. Don't forget the discount code as well, Pleasant2019. That'll get you 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. Thanks again for joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.